Hello, everybody. My name is Cliff Smith. I'm the Washington Project Director of the Middle East Forum. And welcome to our webinar and speaker podcast series, podcast and webinar series. Um, and welcome um, to, to Shay Kateri, our guest. Uh, it is no secret to anyone in the past couple of months that the foreign policy story that has dominated the headlines is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, this unprovoked war of aggression is the first significant conflict on European soil since World War II, and it has shocked the world and has rightly absorbed um, almost the entire news cycle when it comes to foreign policy. Um, yet the Middle East is not far off, um, and it plays a significant role. The Black Sea borders both Ukraine and Russia, as well as Turkey. Istanbul has served as a place for Ukrainian-Russian negotiations. Uh, Iran and Russia are strategic allies. And Russia has been serving as an interlocutor on US nego Iran, or Iran negotiations over the Iran's nuclear program. Um, Arab states, on the other hand, fear Iran, um, but have been hesitant to provoke Russia. Israel, too, uh, has been concerned about the Russian troops um, near its borders in Syria. Um, and while it has condemned Russia, it has been hesitant to do other things, um, which has led to internal debate in Israel. The list could go on and on. Today, we have someone who is uniquely um, positioned to discuss the wider issue um, of how the Russia-Ukraine conflict um, deals with Iran and the rest of the Middle East. Sheikh Kateri is a specialist in Russia and Iran and a writer for The Bulwark. Uh, he studies strategic studies at Johns Hopkins University's Center for Strategic International Studies, and he writes the Substack newsletter, The Russia-Iran File. He grew up in Iran, but is now a political asylee in the US living in Washington, DC. Welcome again, Shay. Thanks, Cliff. Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, just for the viewers, I will discuss some of these issues with Shay, but there will be time for Q&A at the end. Um, if you want to ask a question, just type it into the Q&A box and hopefully we will get to it at the end. Um, so Shay, let's just start with the obvious given your background in both Russia and Iran. What is the Iranian regime's view of the war between Russia and Ukraine and how does the Russian-Iranian uh, relationship affect what is happening between Russia and Ukraine going forward? Uh, so actually, let me, let me start with that, with the fact that Iran is um, mostly concerned with the negotiations going on about the uh, resuscitation of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action right now. And that caused uh, some headaches early on the war because Russia was asking for some exemptions that United States was not willing to concede. And that also created some minor rifts between the Iranians and the Russians. And add to this, this fact that United States and Russia still are not, uh, and United States and Iran are still not negotiating directly. They are using uh, Russia as an intermediary, which, uh, which adds to the dilemma for, uh, for, uh, for Iran and the Russians in, in this scenario. So the initial reaction of Iran was being supportive of Russia. And it, to the extent that it's still talked about within regime circles, that's different uh, what different segments of the population is saying. But 
what uh, they they still want to blame the United States, NATO, and uh, and basically parrot what the Russians have been saying about the war, not to the extent that uh, not so much parroting what the Russians are saying about Ukraine, but what the Russians are saying about NATO and the United States, I must add. And uh, that has been uh, toned down a little bit, mostly because it's going out of the headlines. And also because it is creating some rifts inside the regime itself. And when I say the regime, I don't mean only government officials, but also the segments of the population that support the regime. Uh, Russia has historically been very unpopular in Iran because of uh, many wars that have been fought and many uh, uh, many uh, land grabs that uh, Russia has done to Iran, including Turkmen Chai and Golestan uh, treaties that uh, Iranians deem uh, unfavorable. And I, I grant that they were unfavorable and they were exploitations of very incompetent uh, monarchies or monarchs rather, but because of that and events and Russians meddling in Iranian politics as well as the Brits for centuries, uh, the Russians are not more pop any more popular than uh, within the Iranian population I'm talking about, not just the regime, any more than the Brits are. Uh, they were, the two of them were used historically uh, by different regimes uh, to balance each other's influence, but uh, especially during the Qajar era. And nevertheless, they caused a lot of harm. Because of that, uh, there was a, uh, uh, there was a pro Iranian uh, statesman who once said, uh, 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 turn your back to uh, to the Brits and the Russians and uh, hold hold the hands of the Americans. So that has been a problem uh, for uh, for the regime to uh, to improve the image of the Russians to a very resistant population, including again supporters of the regime and. Uh, and the segments and, and uh, officials even. You see in Iran's parliament, people frequently complain about the Russians. The, there was a, a long saga of uh, the transfer of the purchase of S-300 systems from Russia that uh, was delayed and the price was high and this and that, but the Russians were not being cooperated. And that had to do also with Iran's nuclear program, which the Russians are not fans of. They want a, monop a nuclear monopoly in, in that region. Uh, nevertheless, uh, created some rift with Russia. And there are other problems such as uh, uh, the contracts that the Russians had that never delivered of uh, building the Boucher uh, nuclear reactor and uh, other problems. So it has been quite interesting to watch how the regime uh, 
is trying to defend a country that or another regime, I guess, Putin's regime. Actually, no, actually, let me rephrase. Iran's regime's problem is not Putin's regime. It's the entirety of the country of Russia, its history vis-a-vis Iran, and, uh, and also the atrocities that are happening in Ukraine. You s- and it has, uh, it has been a wedge between, within the regime itself and between the regime and its supporters. And last thing I want to add is uh, you see very interesting comments made by uh, uh, regime supporters who would say, oh, what Ukraine, excuse me, what Russia is doing to Ukraine would happen to us, not by the Russians, by Americans, if not for the IRGC, mm-hmm. which is the nonsense of it aside, it is still quite fascinating that a country that is supposed to be an ally of the Islamic Republic of Iran, Iranians, even the supporters of the regime are acknowledging the atrocities when you see what's happening to them. If not for the IRGC, would happen to us. It means that what's happening to the Ukrainians, you're acknowledging what is happening to Ukrainians. That's interesting. That actually leads to something else that you've alluded to a couple times that I was going to ask about. Uh, you tweeted a video a couple months ago that I noticed that was of a bunch of protesters in front of the Russian embassy in Tehran of people chanting death to Putin. Um, you've alluded to this several times, but how large of a segment of the Iranian population do you think views Russia as hostily as that? And is it a particular group or subgroup? What else should we know about them? So if you think about it, uh, uh, at the risk of oversimplification, you could comfortably assume that uh, a large, a significant portion of regime supporters uh, do not like Russia or hate Russia, and every regime opponent hates Russia. Because, again, the population writ large has its historical reasons not to like Russia, to hate Russia, uh, which you can see among regime supporters and average Iranian. But the average Iranian also has the additional incentive that you hate your enemy's uh, friend. Uh, it is qu- quite, qu- I, I always, go, always go back and forth deciding whether uh, Iranians hate the Brits more or the, the Russians. But increasingly, it's it, it, increasingly it's the Russians, and uh, actually, even the Chinese are replacing the Russians. Uh, the, excuse me, the Brits uh, in number two, because uh, as the regime becomes more unpopular, which has happened since uh, twenty seventeen, I want to say. Uh, so, excuse me, uh, since twenty uh, fifteen that the regime's declining popularity started right after JCPOA and because of JCPOA, in fact. Uh, uh, As uh, that sudden dip happened, uh, so did the popularity of the regime's friends. And uh, the video you talk about, uh, there were also other videos, people uh, and 
images, people were in front of the Ukrainian embassy protesting in support of Ukraine. They were uh, vandalizing the Russian embassy in Tehran. And that is, uh, but that was partially due to just moral outrage, like the liberal moral outrage that, uh, when I say liberal, I mean classically liberal moral outrage that we've seen in many free societies, including, I would assume, uh, everybody on this chat, uh, on this conversation. In addition to that, uh, it's the element of Iranians just hate Russia and they hate the, uh, the regime. It was all in one. Now, it has not been manifested the way it has been here because Europe is not the primary concern of the Iranian, the average Iranian. Uh, Iran is the primary concern of the average Iranian. And, uh, and by the way, there's like, you cannot say that about Americans because Americans actually, we do have a comfortable life here. So we have the privilege of caring about other countries more. Iranians do not have that privilege. They're extremely miserable. So first and foremost, they care about their own well-being and affairs. So mostly they still care about the uh, the uh, results of the negotiations with P5 plus one, but that is not stopping them from uh, still expressing outrage whenever they can against Russia. Just uh, that's not the primary concern. Let me ask you about a related item. Um... Iran, how have, do you believe Iran's Arab foes, particularly Saudi Arabia and UAE, responded to this conflict? And how has Iran played into the various decisions they've made since the conflict in Russia has started, or in Ukraine, I should say? Uh, that's, to be quite honest, that's a bit difficult to analyze, at least for me. But uh, let me tell you what I know. Uh, which is, I believe it was two months ago, or maybe a bit more, that the Houthis used an Iranian UAV to attack UAE, uh, uh, UAE, United Arab Emirates. Uh, UAV and UAE, it's a bit <laughs> of a uh, tongue twister. Uh, the United States did, took weeks to issue condemnation, weeks, the State Department. And I think it took 20 days, maybe more, to send an official to UAE. And when they did that, it was a military officer who went there. It was not a political appointee, it was not a civilian, which doesn't look good on us. Uh, so the Emirates are quite pissed about that, and they should be. Uh, on top of that, the the current administration has quite dismissed and not just that ignored the reservations that the Emiratis and the Saudis have uh, about uh, the JCPOA. I think it was last week that Jake Sullivan uh, went to Saudi Arabia uh, to be screamed at by Mohammed bin Sultan uh, Salman, excuse me, Mohammed bin Salman to come back and. Early on into the administration, they uh, actually issued. Uh, they were they 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 made 
sent signals that were quite tough on Saudi Arabia. Uh, and by the way, I didn't disagree with it at the time, and I still don't disagree with uh, what they did at the time. Uh, it's just that uh, they have uh, not done anything else to build capital to spend it. So they have run out of capital with the Saudis and slightly lesser extent, Emiratis. And yeah, and now the war has given the Saudis and Emiratis leverage because we need them to pump more, uh, more oil and they're not doing so. Uh, what is quite interesting to me though, is that, well, if Saudis are not pumping oil and if the Emiratis are not pumping oil, and if you need more oil, uh, you will have to find it in Venezuela and Iran. And probably for both domestic political reasons, but also uh, prudential uh, policy reasons, they still have not uh, completely caved to uh, reach a nuclear agreement with Iran to return Iran's oil into the market, uh, which is actually uh, commendable, commendable. And, but having said that, their lives would have been much easier if they actually had maintained a good relationship with the Saudis and especially Emiratis. Again, uh, you can condemn Mohammed bin Salman and human rights atrocities, in fact, like, always I've been saying for many years that uh, we're guilty of not doing enough without completely uh, killing the relationship. You can do both. In fact, if history is in any guide, the Reagan administration succeeded in uh, democratizing many allies because precisely they had good relations with them, not bad relations, uh, which is a lesson that the current administration hasn't learned. Okay. Um, let me, um, let's get to a couple of audience questions here. Um, you discussed how um, Iranians and Russians have had um, some tension over uh, what has happened to the deal because of the war. What can be done to drive the wedge deeper between Iran and Russia um, concerning Ukraine? Is there anything that the US or its allies can do? Uh, between the regime and, uh, between the uh, Russian and Iranian regimes. Yeah, I, on the margins, sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, Iranians need the Russians and Russians need the Iranians. Uh, Iran just gave a, uh, signed a 25 year security agreement with China, uh, a year ago, I think it would just went to effect, uh, last month. Uh, and on top of that, uh, and they are trying to reach a new agreement with Russia with the same length, a quarter century, and uh, they might give it a uh, Persian Gulf military port to the Chinese, and the Russians would love to have that as well, though there is a different question uh, whether they have the Navy, they think they have to operate out of that port, but no, it's quite difficult to do that, actually. A, a, a better way, if you want to do that, a better way is to have information campaigns targeting the regime's supporters uh, 
uh, who would exert pressure on the regime. The regime wouldn't care about my, what my parents want. They care about what uh, uh, their supporters want. Uh, people who go to mosque every every month and show up at the besiege uh, uh, events. So a better way is to actually have information campaigns about that. And, and what the war is doing, uh, uh, it's not going to achieve that really. If you want to achieve that, you need to target core ideological uh, and historical grievances that uh, these people might have against Russia. Uh, one is that why uh, one is that well, Russia keeps promising a delivery of weapons and doesn't give it to you. Another one is your Russian a Russian treatment of Ukrainian Tatars in Russia who are Muslim. Why is Russia discriminating against uh, its Muslims? Another one is, and by the way, we can we can and should do that about Uyghurs too. The average Iranian doesn't even know what's happening with Uyghurs. Uh, another thing that we can and should do is uh, reminding uh, reminding uh, regime's base of uh, the historical grievances uh, they have against Russia. But the war, I don't think, can do much uh, to begin with. Uh, the regime has done quite the same, not only to its own people, but also to the Syrians. Uh, so I don't think that uh, those kinds of atrocities is something that average regime supporter would mind much. Um, as far as the um, outrage expressed at the Russians by um, the opponents of the regime and some of the fans of the regime, as you mentioned, um, has the um, <clears throat> Iranians done anything to respond to that or have they just sort of let that play out domestically? uh about the atrocities uh, yeah i mean the the yeah. iranian protests over russia's atrocities so they were, they were sporadic and small and cracked down on quite easily uh it was nothing serious to uh scare the regime and they just again let it play out run their own uh, media campaign uh to address the situation. Actually, by the way, of the media campaign, actually, uh, uh, this is quite an interesting point. The average Iranian is far more familiar with what's happening in Ukraine than the average Russian is. And this is despite the fact, and somewhat because of the fact, that uh, Iranian media are far more restricted and censored than uh, Russian media. And the problem for that is, uh, that uh, the Russian media is actually not uh, as religiously orthodox uh, as the uh, Iranian media is. So the regime made a miscalculation of imposing uh, uh, Islam, strict Islamic norms to uh, its media. So everybody 20, starting 20, 25 years ago uh, set up uh, satellite uh, dishes, and nobody watches uh, domestic media anymore. Everybody watches foreign uh, foreign broadcasts, including Farsi foreign broadcasts. The Russians don't have that problem. They're, uh, what they have on state media is actually interesting. The TV shows they have, it's within the norm of what the average Russian would want to say see. So they actually, they do not have the infrastructure to look at uh, foreign broadcasts on censored media. So, uh, because of that, the Iranians actually are quite aware of what's happening in Ukraine. It's just that, uh, th so the uh, 
whatever propaganda campaign the regime has had has not been that effective uh, on most people. Um, this is from, um, excuse me if I'm butchering this name, Muradad Kansari. He asks, are people in the Iranian regime seeing Russia as obstructing the negotiations for a revived JCPOA, given that their main concern is getting access to the funds that will become available to them if an agreement is signed? Uh, uh so oh sorry uh where did the question go so i was looking oh here it is uh uh yeah so I can read. They, they, no no i i'm i'm looking at it uh they, uh so who are the key people in uh in in within the regime that's the that's the biggest question and uh yes they are seeing it as an uh as a uh, as an obstruction uh or obstructionist uh player actor in the negotiations uh since the war started they were not quite happy with the russians last time in 2014 either 2013 2014 they were not very too happy with the russians at the time and it's understandable because the Russians have their own, uh, they, they are not representative of Iran's interests. They are representative of their own interests first and foremost. And the Russians have been quite clear. They don't want Iran to uh, uh, get nuclear weapons. Uh, and they're right for their own interests, not from our point of view, not to want, uh, not to want Iran to have nuclear, uh, nukes. Uh, yes, they're seeing uh, such uh, obstructions, and uh, and they yes they uh, want to reach a deal to get the funds, uh, but I don't agree that their main concern is getting access to the funds. I think their main concern still is to have an agreement that they can that allows them to get nuclear capabilities, be it by cheating uh, a loosely monitored uh, observed uh, agreement or uh, a loosely written that even if abided by uh, allows Iran to uh, reach uh, nuclear uh, capabilities, uh, acquire nuclear capabilities. So I think that's their main concern right now. I do think that the, they care about the money. Of course they do. But I think there's something they care about more, which is uh, uh, the acquisition of uh, nuclear arms. Um, let me ask you one other question. Um, Turkey has been playing an interesting role in all of this. They have, um, uh, they basically are acting as an intermediary right now in terms of a setting ground for negotiating between Russia and um, Ukraine. Um, Turkey's relationship with Iran has always been a bit odd to me. Does there anything that is um, noteworthy in how this is affecting the Turkey-Iran relationship? Uh, you need to remember that Turkey is a uh, revanchist empire. It, like Russia, wants its empire back. Mm. And Iran is... Uh, some of the different uh, revanchist power, but it also wants its empire back. Uh, though Turkey wants 
the empire it had back Iran wants a very different kind of empire it, instead of a nationalist empire it wants an Islamist empire but that's a problem they are both appealing to Islamist tendencies uh, or Islamic tendencies I should say uh, in the region uh, to portray themselves as the defender of uh, of the of the Ummah of the Muslim nation uh, more and more over the past couple of decades, Iran has been leaning on uh, dropping the Islamic act and more adopting a Shiite uh, uh, clothing, uh, which again, brings more tension. Uh, on top of that, Iran and Turkey have had uh, their historical problems with each other, uh, several wars that were fought during the Safavid uh, dynasty. And, uh, and by the way, when I talk about these historical grievances, it's actually quite interesting because uh, you learn uh, at the na uh, there's a national curriculum for, or there are national curricula for different classes uh, in Iran that everybody reads the same textbook when you're at school and you learn about all of these. They, the regime since uh, age of, 10 when you have your first history uh, class teaches you about the wars and exploitations of uh, by Russia, by Turkey, by the United States and the United Kingdom too as well. Uh, though the you know, American exploitations are more fabricated than real, but uh, they teach you about these and they have a population that is not very uh, uh, friendly toward Turkey and toward Russia. As for Turkey, uh, there was the Nagorno-Karabakh uh, conflict last year, and Iran ends up on Armenia's side, and Turkey and Pakistan uh, end up on Azerbaijan's side. And that is quite concerning for Iran, one, because they have uh, separatists in Azerbaijan, but in Iran and they themselves call themselves Turks. Uh, so they are very sympathetic with, uh, with Turkey. Uh, Turkey is sympathetic with them. They fear uh, secession and even annexation. Uh, in fact, after World War II, uh, Soviet Union wanted to annex it and refused to leave it until Truman threatened to nuke Moscow, in fact. but. Uh, th there are these uh, problems that Iran has with Turkey that, uh, yet again, this conflict is uh, bringing to surface. Uh, it it's quite interesting. Every grievance you have had, uh, this, is mag uh, this war is magnifying. Uh, but uh, Iran is quite actually, uh, again, Turkey, I think, is the second or third largest NATO power, uh, military power. And Iran is quite uh, intimidated by uh, Turkey. It cannot attack Turkey for sure, because suddenly it's an Article 5 thing that unlike Russia, NATO is more than happy to go to war with Iran because Iran doesn't have nukes. Uh, on top of that, uh, you see some uh, interesting uh, developments uh, in Turkey. You see that uh, the... Uh, I think it was the president of Turkey and president of, president of Israel, I believe it was the heads of states uh, who had a phone call and their uh, Turkey's 
changing some policies uh, to adopt a more Israel-friendly posture in recent weeks, which one, Iran doesn't like, two, is going to be happy to exploit uh, uh, to the anti-Zionist uh, uh, tendencies in the region. But it's really a mishmash. It's really a mishmash, especially when it, uh, everything in that region is a mishmash. We've been observing that region for many years and nothing makes sense. That is very true. Uh, we'll have to leave it for this for today. We're out of time. Thank you very much, Shay, for your thoughts. And uh, tune in next week, folks, for more stuff from the Middle East Forum. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Cliff.